morning. My name is Matthew. Our reading right before the sermon comes from Acts chapter 4, and we're reading verses 5 to 22, if you want to follow along. I'm reading from the ESV. Uh, If you want one, there's some up the back near the sound desk, if you wanted a physical Bible. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and people and el- of, of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, By what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved." Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them, and is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that It may spread no further among the people. Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Hear the word of the Lord. Um, happy Father's Day. Uh, I, don't do, I don't really do the Father's Day joke thing, um, unfortunately. Although I was thinking about the name Lance. I don't know if there's any Lances here. No, no, you don't, you don't hear the name Lance very often these days, do you? It doesn't come up a lot. Did you know, though, in medieval times, people were called Lance a lot? <laughs> the drummer's not there, that's unfortunate. <laughs> um, you're going to need a Bible, you're going to need a Bible this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Acts 4, which we just heard read, but also Acts 5, so do please uh, have a Bible there, uh, and please join me, let's pray, let's ask that uh, the Lord would be with us by his Spirit as we come to his Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a speaking God and that you've spoken to us uh, through this part of Scripture. We pray that you would be with us now by your Spirit. Help us to attend to the things you care about. Help us to look to your Son, Jesus. Uh, and may, the, may what we see of uh, the very first Christians in these chapters and the way they courageously trusted you and lived for you and the way you powerfully preserve them. May that encourage our hearts that we might do the same in our context. And we pray that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Um, There's two threats, I reckon. Two threats. 
that are out there, that lurk around God's people, that lurk around the church, um, that are constantly threatening to undo, unravel, undermine uh, what God is doing in the world. Uh, that threaten to undermine, unravel, undo uh, Jesus' mission among us and within us. Um, this, this is true on campus where I am as I, as I meet with university students. I take it it's true here among us uh, at church on a Sunday morning and throughout the week. And it, it's, it's true for each of us personally as well. There's two threats. What are these threats? Well, one is external. It's the threat from the outside in. The outside in. Things like uh, opposition to the gospel, hostility uh, to the church, hostility to our message. Um, And of course, Christian history kind of bears testament to that in lots of different ways, doesn't it? Throughout history, Christians have been opposed uh, for trusting in Jesus. You might be aware of what's happened in uh, Pakistan recently. Um, Absolutely tragic and and, and so difficult to look on and see what's happening to our brothers and sisters there. Uh, If if you're not aware, two weeks ago, about a fortnight ago, um, a a Christian, a a mob of Islamic extremists went on a rampage through a Christian area in Pakistan. They burnt a church to the ground, they burnt uh, one of the church members to the ground and they attacked a whole bunch of other homes. Um, and, and, and the reason they were doing that was because one of the men in this church had supposedly desecrated the Quran, And so they took this out on God's people. I mean, so sometimes it's quite extreme, isn't it, this opposition from the outside? More often, I think, in our context, it's, it's not quite like that, is it? It's a little bit more subtle. Um, on campus, uh, the last year or two, um, we've had people who um, have been pulling down our posters. It's not quite burning down a church, is it? Um, but people have been going around pulling down the posters we put up to advertise our group. It was actually quite funny. Um, uh, when we put up a bunch of posters at the start of last year during O-Week, I noticed they'd gone the next day. And so I went around, I put them all back up. And then they were gone the next day. And this, this went on for about a week. I kept putting them back up. And uh, I was walking through the hallway one day uh, just, just to check the posters were there. And as I, as I walked through the hallway, this guy right in front of me reached out and pulled one of the posters down off the wall. And, uh, you know, I'm a brave kind of guy, so I challenged him. I said, hey, what are you doing with that poster? And we got chatting, and he had been really hurt by Christianity. And he just didn't want people um, talking about Jesus on campus. So there is opposition in our society. It's, it's a bit more subtle. Um, but it is. It's in the social pressures that we feel. It's maybe in the public ridicule we feel. I'm sure you all remember the story of uh, Andrew Thorburn last year, the Essendon CEO. Remember, remember him? Do we have that photo up on the screen? Um, he lasted a day in his job, didn't he? Uh, because the media got hold of the fact that he was a member of the City on a Hill Church uh, in, uh, in Melbourne. They looked up some old sermons. They were kind of like, oh, we're not sure about this. And suddenly there was all this pressure and Essendon let him go within a day. It's not physical persecution, but it's opposition on account of our faith. I really like how Steve McAlpine, he's an Australian Christian author, writes about the opposition we might face in Australia. And he's got a great book. It's called Being the Bad Guys. He writes this. He says, increasingly in in, in Australia, Christianity is viewed as the bad guy. That resonates, doesn't it? The seat at the cultural table that we assumed was ours for keeps is increasingly being given to others. We're on the wrong side of history. 
the wrong side of so many issues and conversations. And I'm sure you probably feel that from time to time. Be it in your workplace, be it in your place of study, be it just at the school gate, wherever it might be, you feel like on account of what you believe, you're somehow on the outside and even hostile to the culture around you. And so we, we feel this opposition. That's the external threat. And it's always been around and it's always going to be around. The other threat, though, is a different kind of threat. It's not the external threat, is it? It's the internal threat. The internal threat that comes from within, among us. It's the threat of things like sin, scandal, um, abuse perhaps, conflict and division within the church. Things that turn us inward and against one another. And if you've been around Christianity for long enough, you've been part of a church for long enough, you'll know how present this is, won't you? It's always there. Um, rather than looking outward, these, these things actually cause us to look inward and turn on one another. Um, sadly, in our context in the, in the West and in Australia in the last few years, this threat is far too common. Um, you, you, you think about the scandals and sort of leadership issues that have come up in churches um, the, the, the findings into sexual abuse within religious institutions. It's a threat from the inside, isn't it? The fall of numerous high-profile Christian leaders. There was, a, there was a moment when I'd just get on social media and there'd be one Christian leader after another who'd done something. It was awful. Um, I'm sure many of us listened to the Mars Hill podcast a few years ago, exploring kind of the toxic culture in that church in the States. And in Australia, we've had our own smaller versions of that. High-profile leaders, cases of bullying and dysfunction within churches. It's all internal threats. And it threatens to undo and unravel the things that God is doing. And then you add to that the stuff, not just in the church, but that is in with, within each one of us. The secret hidden sin that each of us carry around that constantly threatens to undo and undermine what God is doing in us and among us. The question I want us to think about this morning, and it's not really a Father's Day topic, I'm sorry about that, uh, but the question I want us to think about this morning is how do we respond to all this? How do we respond to all this? How do we guard against falling pray to these threats, be they outside or inside the church? How do we trust God when there's all these forces against us as believers? And to do that, we're going to have a look at the book of Acts and two chapters here, two moments actually in the book of Acts where the very first Christians faced exactly these kind of threats. Uh, one, one's external and one's internal. And here's what we're going to see. I'm going to tell you what we're going to see before we get to it. We're going to see that these threats have always been around. But more importantly, we're going to see that these threats are no match for Jesus by his spirit. It's going to be good. Have your Bible there. Um, we'll, we'll start with the first threat, the external threat uh, in the passage which uh, Matt just read for us in Acts chapter 5. Uh, sorry, Acts chapter 4. A um, bit of context. Um, what's happened in Acts just prior to this is the apostles, Peter and John, they've actually healed a paralyzed man in the temple courts. Um, he couldn't walk, now he can walk. People are praising God about it. And um, the religious leaders have seen this and they've got upset about it. And what's really upset them is when they asked Peter and John, how did you do this? How did you heal this guy? They said to them, we did it in the name of Jesus. 
Now remember, Jesus is the guy they just got knocked off a few weeks earlier. And now he's back because his apostles are raising people, to, um, raising people back from being paralysed. And, so and so they're upset by this. And so they grab Peter and John, they throw him into a jail cell overnight. And we pick it up here in chapter 4, the next day, as they're dragged back out to explain themselves. Have a look at verse 7. Look what they ask them in verse 7 of chapter 4. They say to Peter and John, by what power, by what power or by what name did you do this? By what power or by what name? Now, the, the question is highly revealing, isn't it? They're not, they don't care about the, guy, the fact that this lame guy can now walk. They don't care about the miracle. No, what they're upset about here is the power that they did it by. So they're, threat, they're, they're threatened by where they, their authority is under fire, aren't they? That's what they're worried about. And in verse 9, we see Peter and John's response to them. And I don't think it makes matters uh, any better. Now, verse 9, they say, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, they just highlight what they've done, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, could have stopped there, the next line, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. And in case they hadn't said enough, they decided to add a bit more. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone, and there is, sal- and, and there is salvation in no one else. There's no one else you can turn to, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I, I was thinking about the other ways that maybe Peter and John could have handled this moment. <laughs> maybe how I would have handled this moment if I was uh, called before um, a bunch of leaders who weren't happy with what I've done. They could have done the politician thing, couldn't have they? Do you know what politicians do when they're asked a question that's a bit uncomfortable? They don't answer it and they ask another question. They say, they say things like, yeah, well, no, no, that's a good question, but the real question is this. Peter and John could have done that, couldn't have they? Yeah, that's great uh, about where the power comes, but the real question is that this guy's been healed. Isn't that nice? Could have done that. Um, they, could have, they could have answered honestly, but been a little bit less provocative and offensive about it, couldn't have they? You know, that's what I do when I'm asked about my faith. I don't try to upset people. I try and find a winsome way, a culturally appropriate way to talk about it. Um, or they could have just, which I'm sure many of us would be tempted to do, they could have just caved and apologised. Sorry, we didn't mean to upset anyone. Sorry this has happened. We won't do it again. But they don't do any of those things, do they? They don't do any of those things. No, in fact, they do the complete opposite. They seem to go out of their way to upset the authorities, to point out that it was in the name of Jesus, Jesus, and it's only in him that there is salvation from God. It's an extraordinary response. It's so bold. It's so courageous. And even more so when you think about who it is who's saying this. This is Peter. What was Peter doing, I don't know, a month earlier when he was put on, you know, the the night that Jesus was betrayed? And he got some hard questions that night. Remember that night? And he follows Jesus to his trial when Jesus was put on trial before the very same group of people. And Peter's out there by the, you know, in the dark by the fireside with some people and they keep asking him, do you know that guy? What's he say? I never met him. Don't know him. 
Even when a servant girl asks him, and look, that's, I've got nothing against servant girls, but Peter, he's a big, bulky fisherman. A servant girl comes up to him and says, you knew that guy, didn't you? Never met, never met him. That was Peter. That's the guy talking here. And here we have him a few months later, and he's a new man, isn't he? He's not just admitting he knows Jesus, but he's going out of his way to speak about him. It's quite incredible. It's quite incredible. And it creates a problem, doesn't it, for the leaders? Because I think they just assumed if we threaten them hard enough, they'll just back down. But they're not doing that, so they've got to come up with another plan. So they go away, and verse 16, we see what they come up with. They say, verse 16, what shall we do with these men? Um, for, for that, a notable sign has been performed through them, is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. They can't deny that the signs happened. Can't get rid of that. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Um, this, is the, this is the shut up or else kind of approaches. I use this on my kids sometimes. I don't actually have a good reason for telling you not to do that, but you stop it, right? Just stop it. No, it doesn't work on Peter and John. Verse 19, look at their reply. They say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak, but speak of what we've seen and heard. It's so bold. It's so courageous, isn't it? Such faithfulness under fire. Wouldn't you like to respond like that? I read this and I go, Whoa. It's, it's inspiring, but it's deeply challenging at the same time. How do they do this? How, how does Peter go from you know, not being able to speak up to a servant girl to being a guy who can stand before the Jewish leaders who've just thrown him in, into a jail cell the night before? And say, I'm not going to shut up about Jesus no matter what you say to me. What's happened? Well, I've skipped over it so far, but the, the answer of what's happened is actually in a really little phrase right at the start of this section. Have a look back at, at, at the very, very start, back in verse 8. When they ask the question and Peter steps forward to speak, look what, look, look what it says, verse 8. Then Peter... Filled with the Holy Spirit. You see the difference? You see what's happened? How is it that Peter, a coward only a few months before, now speaks so boldly about Jesus? Well, because of the Holy Spirit. That's what's happened. Uh, since then, the Lord Jesus has ascended to his rightful throne in heaven. And he's poured out his spirit, as he's promised to do, on the believers and this spirit has empowered and emboldened them to speak courageously about Jesus. This may be a terrible analogy, but it reminds me of Gatorade. I don't know if any of you know how um, Gatorade was first developed. Um, it, was, it was developed back in the 1960s, if you can believe it, in Florida, at the Florida State University, for their, for their, um, their, not their NFL, their gridiron team, um, the Florida Gators. The alligators, I guess, is what, what they were, right? They were a terrible football team. They were losing. They were going really badly. And so they went to their, the scientists in the university and they said, hey, guys, can you come up with something to kind of help us in the games? Um, particularly in the second half. They were dropping off in the second half. And so they developed a few things. 
And eventually they came up with Gatorade. It was undrinkable at first. It's still pretty undrinkable, I reckon, Gatorade. Um, <laughs> Powerade's marginally better. But, but eventually they got to a point where they could drink it. And in 1967, at the Orange Bowl, which is the big kind of college football event, the Florida Gators won the Orange Bowl. <laughs> and did you know the losing coach at the end of the game was asked why his side lost? You know what he said? Here's what he said. He said, we didn't have Gatorade. <laughs> we didn't have Gatorade. That made the difference. See, without Gatorade, the Florida Gators, they were just a you know, half-baked, poorly performing, ordinary football team. Filled with Gatorade, they're world beaters. Without God's Spirit, Peter and John are just ordinary, weak, unschooled Galilean fishermen. Filled with the Spirit, they're these bold, courageous new men standing up courageously under fire. Um, this, is, this is so helpful, I think, for us to see this, isn't it? To see this and, and be reminded of this. Friends, we need to remember, the gospel will always be opposed. Not by everybody, but it's always going to be opposed. There's always going to be those external threats, those threats from the outside in. Um, sometimes they'll be big, like what Peter and John face here, with threat of imprisonment. They'll be big like our Pakistani brothers and sisters are facing at the moment. Sometimes they'll be more subtle. They'll be the things that we face, the implied silencing of our culture. They'll be being labelled the bad guys. They'll be being thought of by your friends or your family or your work colleagues as intolerant, right? They're all threats. Those things are always going to be with us. But we need to remember this. We need to remember this. Jesus is more than up to the task. Jesus is more than up to the task and he equips us for that task by pouring out his spirit upon us. That same spirit that filled Peter and John that day fills every believer who calls on the name of Jesus as Lord. Did you know that? We all know that. Do you believe that? That same spirit dwells within you empowering you and emboldening you and helping you to trust and live and speak about Jesus even in the face of opposition and threats. Now, that doesn't mean we always do it perfectly. Um, Peter and John, you read on into, into the book of Acts, they don't always do it perfectly. But Jesus, by his Spirit, is always present with them, helping them in their task. Friends, we need to believe this. I need to believe this. When I'm out on a university campus, the start of each year, we go up and we just walk up to students um, who are new to the uni. It might be uh, you know, on doing their orientation or doing a tour of the campus, something like that. Um, we're not allowed to affiliate with our student guild, so we've got to find ways to meet students who are a bit under the radar. And so one of the things is we spend our, the orientation week just going and inviting students to join the group, tell, telling them about the group. Hey, I'm Tim. Um, what's your name? We're, we're from the Christian group. Is that something you're interested in at all? That is hard to do. I find that hard to do. The students find that hard to do. We need to remember that God's Spirit actually fills us and helps us in that task, don't we? 
I, I need to remember that when I, um, when I turn up to get my hair cut. I haven't had a haircut for a while, but you know, it's, I turn up to get a haircut, and being in Christian ministry, it's always, oh, it's always so awkward, right? Because they say, oh, how's your day going? What have you been up to? What's, what's your job? And I just know, oh, man, I've got to find a way to talk about Jesus here. <laughs> God's Spirit is within me, helping me to be bold in that moment. Now, my wife's family, they're not believers, and they, they come visit quite regularly. You know, and even just small things, but living out my Christ, our Christian life in front of them, you know, giving thanks for the food before we eat with them. That can feel like, oh, God's Spirit actually helps us even in those small ways to keep speaking of Jesus, testifying of Jesus. I need to believe this. Do you need to believe this? This week, you know, you're, you're in the office. You know when those culturally sensitive moments come up? those hot-button issues, whatever they might be this week. And, and you're kind of hearing people talking about it and you're sort of like, oh, I probably should say something. I'm not quite, not, I'm not quite sure what to say. I don't know how to say it. I don't really want to say something. God's Spirit fills you and empowers you in that moment to take a step towards the fire and speak courageously of Jesus, just as he helped Peter and John. Maybe on the weekend and you're having coffee with a friend. They ask, oh, what are you doing tomorrow? You're going to church? God's Spirit is there in that moment helping you. And maybe in the future when things get really tough, if they get really tough in Australia to be Christians, maybe there'll come a day for us where we have to choose, like Peter and John had to choose, between obeying God or obeying the, the government. If that day comes, God's Spirit is there, empowering and emboldening us to honour Christ then. Friends, we need to believe this. And as we do believe it, we will have confidence and we will speak boldly. Confidence that whatever threats may arise, what God's doing in the world, what Jesus is doing in the world, will go on, for it rests on his work through us by his Spirit. It doesn't rest on us. It's good, isn't it? That's the external threat, okay? That's the external threat. What about the internal threats? Those threats, those threats that are among us, that are within, that can turn us inward and, on, and, and turn us on each other rather than looking outward. Well, I want you to turn your Bibles to chapter 5. We're going to read one of the most confronting chapters in the New Testament, I think. Um, but it's really important here uh, because it's a story of an internal threat. Uh, it's a story of a, of a couple, um, and maybe this is appropriate on Father's Day. It doesn't talk about whether they've got kids. They're a couple, Ananias and Sapphira. A um, bit of context. Um, just prior to this, we're given, actually, in the book of Acts, this beautiful picture of God's people in this moment. Um, have a look at the description. I'll put it up on the screen in Acts chapter 4. Listen how the church is described at this point. It says, Those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. It's beautiful, isn't it? Wouldn't you love to be part of a church like that? Well, that's what the early church was like at this point. A united community, one in heart and soul, generously giving to one another, ensuring that nobody goes without. 
Now, that's the context of what happens with this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, because what they do in this chapter threatens to completely tear this beautiful community apart. Have a look what happens. I'll just read read it from verse 1. We read there, A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? He continues, verse 4, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it you have contrived this heart in your deed, in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Whew. A few hours later, verse 8, his wife arrived. She doesn't know what's happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. That's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. That's a pretty troubling moment, isn't it? It would have been an interesting Sunday morning to be at church. You know, the trip back in the car. What did you think of the sermon? Did you catch up with anybody over morning tea? Oh, yeah, and remember that um, couple who just got struck dead midway through the service? It's pretty full on. If you've never read, if you've never read this chapter before and you read this, you whoa. One moment we've got this beautiful picture of the church, don't we? One in heart and soul, sharing all their possessions. And then the next we have this. Two, two members of the church literally being stretched out dead. What is going on here? What have they done that is so wrong that God would respond uh, the way he does here? Now, when people read this, sometimes they think the problem with Ananias and Sapphira is their greed. They're greedy. Um, they, they don't want to give all their money away. And so rather than doing that, they, they hold back some for themselves. And, and that's the big problem here. Now, that's probably true. It does seem like they were, they were greedy. Um, but if you look back at what Peter says to them, um, the greed is not the core problem, is it? No, Peter actually makes it clear, if you look at verse 4, they've got no obligation to give all their money to the church. It was theirs to do what they wanted with. That's not the problem. The problem is that they lied about it. Do you see that? They lied about it. The problem's not their greed. The problem is their, their deception. Um, and it's interesting how it's described. Did you notice how it's described? It's described as lying to God. In fact, it's described as lying to the Holy Spirit. It's a very interesting way of, t- of talking about this. Um, and, and Peter makes uh, this point twice. If you just have a look at verse 3 again, he says to Ananias, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And verse 9, he says to Sapphira, how could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? See, this is a sin against God's spirit. How is it a sin against God's spirit? How have they deceived the spirit? How are they testing the spirit? Well, think a bit for a moment what the spirit has been doing among God's people to this point. The spirit has been at work like we just saw in chapter 4 
filling the believers that they might speak boldly about Jesus. And as they've done that, people have turned to Jesus in repentance and faith. And so the Spirit has been bringing together this beautiful community, knitting this community together as God's people who are one in heart and soul, who are sharing generously of their things with one another, who are being bold about the gospel together. That's what the Spirit's been doing. What are Ananias and Sapphira doing? Well, they're actually pulling the Spirit's work apart, aren't they? They're sowing kind of mistrust among God's people. They're they're, they're sowing deceit, self-centeredness. This community who are one in heart and mind are now under Ananias and Sapphira's uh, influence being threatened to be divided apart. That's what they're doing. That's why Peter talks about it this way. They're like an employee who's you know, stealing from the company or something, or bad-mouthing you on social media. I don't know if any of you run businesses and you've had employees like that. I, um, when, I, when I left high school, I worked for a couple of years as a Pizza Hut delivery driver. That was a glamorous profession, I'll tell you what. It was before they had sort of the motorised bikes that I've noticed they're all going around on today. Um, and it was back in the day when everybody paid in cash. There was no, you know, pay before you go or swipe when you, when you get there sort of situation. Um, one, my proudest day, well, one of my proudest days, I mean, I've had, gave, my wife gave birth to children and stuff. That was great. But I think even topping that, maybe just under that, was when I was handed my cap that said 1,000 deliveries. I wore that so proudly. Everyone else hated me, but I wore that proudly. Anyway, what, what, what you do, you, you, you turn up, and the way, the way it would work is you go to this window as a delivery driver and they give you the pizzas and you, take, you, you deliver them and you go to the house and then they give you the, they give you the cash and you'd have a, a kind of a bum bag full of change, you give them back the money. And it was always great when you get a, a price, you wanted like the price to be like $16 and they'd give you a $20 note and you'd start, you'd just kind of make it, oh, it's really hard to find the change and eventually they'd say, oh, don't worry about it and you could keep the money, right? Great. And then you bring the money back and you just had to give the full amount to the, to the person on the till on the window and you could keep whatever change got left over. That was yours to keep. That was your tips. Anyway, they, they started adding... There was a period where every night at the, end of, at the end of business, the till was not adding up. It was out massively each night. And they, they started to go, what's going on here? And I think there was even some, maybe some video footage they were looking at. And there was some kind of conspiracy between one of the drivers and the person on the till, where they were giving each other the wrong amounts of money and then splitting the, the difference later on, like some terrible thing, like literally stealing from the company. That's what Ananias and Sapphira are doing, right? They're pulling apart God's beautiful, spirit-filled community. They're undermining and sabotaging what God's spirit is doing. They're lying against the spirit. They're testing the spirit, and so God makes an example of them, doesn't he? He makes an example of them. And they're both struck down dead. And their bodies are carried away. And the church is left trembling with fear. And as we read it today, I'm sure we're left trembling in fear a little bit too. Um, But though this is shocking, I want to suggest it's actually really important for us to pay attention to what happens here. Really, really important for us to pay attention to what happens here. Because I think what we see here is that Jesus, he doesn't just guard the mission against external threats, does he? Threats from the outside. Jesus, by his spirit, guards the mission against internal threats too. 
He does. By his spirit, he can deal with the things that threaten the church that he's building. And he does in a very extreme way here. Now, as we read this, this should, this should alarm us, but it should also comfort us. Um, it should, here's why it should alarm us. It should alarm us because it, it highlights, doesn't it, sin is not something we should be messing around with as God's people. Sin is something that Jesus takes seriously. He took Ananias and Sapphira's sin seriously. He takes my sin seriously. He takes your sin seriously. Heed the warning. Um, Jesus is not going to allow our greed or our selfishness to undermine what he's doing. He's not going to let that happen. Jesus won't allow our divisions, our gossip, our infighting, our harsh words with one another, even our deceits to bring his purposes in his people undone. He won't let it happen. And friends, he also won't let our, our secret sins, our addictions, our impure thoughts, the things we do when no one's looking, he won't even let those thwart his work. No, just as he does in Acts 5 here, by his spirit, Jesus will do what needs to be done to guard what he's doing among us and in the world. Now, don't mishear me here, all right? Don't mishear me. I don't think Jesus is going to strike you dead every time you tell a lie or something like that. I I think this is actually a one-time only moment that God has placed in history as a warning to us. But we need to heed the warning, don't we? We need to heed heed the warning. Jesus can and will guard against the threat of sin to his mission. Don't be like Ananias and Sapphira. Don't mess with what Jesus is doing in your life and in his people's life. Don't test the Spirit of God. Friends, if there is sin, serious sin in your life, don't leave it unchecked. Don't leave it unaccounted for. You're playing with fire. You're playing with fire. Confess it. Seek help to deal with it. Expose it, lest he exposes you. This, this, this moment, it should alarm us. It should warn us. It should also comfort us. It should comfort us. Because here's the thing. If, if Jesus is able to deal with our sin, then it can't ultimately threaten what he's doing, can it? No, it can't ultimately threaten um, the work that he's doing among us. By his spirit, Jesus is going to guard his mission and guard his people and we can trust him and we can be confident of that. I, I was reflecting on, you know, I was talking about all the high-profile leaders lately. You know, Mark, Ravi Zacharias, wasn't that awful when that came out? You might think of Mark Driscoll. You might think of what's happening in Hillsong at the moment. Sometimes I hear those stories and I just go, oh, man, what's going on? <laughs> Has God lost control? Is Jesus really at work? It can cause you to despair, can't you? can't it? I think actually those moments, yes, they're they're horrible to hear about. They should cause us to rejoice. Because I think when those things come out, I wonder if that's actually Jesus at work by his spirit, dealing with the sin that threatens to undermine what's going on in his people. And so, yeah, we should be saddened by those things. We absolutely should be saddened by them. But we should also rejoice in them because Jesus is at work 
graciously bringing things into the light and so preserving his people. The same is true for each of us personally. When your sin is exposed, when somebody, you know, you know when somebody calls you out on something? That's a horrible moment, isn't it? I've had that a few times over the years. You know, when a secret sin is uncovered or the impact of something you've done, is the consequences of that are shown and they're really bad, they're horrible. They're painful. We ought not despise those moments, though, should we? Because I think that's Jesus by his spirit at work. Actually bringing about his purposes, guarding his people, bringing about his purposes among us. We, not, we shouldn't despise those things. No, we should, and maybe this is appropriate on Father's Day. We should, as the author of Hebrews encourages us, to accept those moments as discipline from a loving Heavenly Father who by his Spirit brings things into the light that we might grow to be more and more like Jesus. See, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, it's scary when you read it, but it's actually comforting. It's comforting for it highlights the faithfulness and the power of Jesus as he works by his spirit. And alongside Peter and John, that first moment we, we looked at, it shows us that we can live for Jesus now. You can live for Jesus this week at work or at uni or at school or at the school gate with your kids or in the mother's group or wherever it is at the hairdresser, I don't know. But you can live for Jesus boldly and confidently knowing that there is no threat be outside or inside that is too big. There is no threat that is any match for Jesus. No, there is no threat that is too overwhelming for Jesus to deal with. He is bigger and more powerful and better and more faithful than any of those could ever be. Shall we pray and give thanks for that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that by your Spirit, you are protecting us from the threats around us. Thank you for the, the confidence that that gives us. Thank you that that enables us to live boldly, trusting that you are at work. Father, we pray that you help us to live this out this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. it's time now where we get to celebrate together the Lord's Supper. Um, Christ comes to us in different means and he's given us different means that we might receive him by faith. One is through his word, uh, but also through the, the blessing, the, 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 in a sense, the visible word of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine. We are physical people. We live in a physical world and God has graciously given us truth through physical forms, truths in the sense that we can see, truths we can touch. The bread that we eat is his body broken for us. The wine or the juice that we drink is his blood shed for us. Tangible, if you like, pictures of the gospel, of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for our sins. And so these elements are both a sign, they remind us of all those things in a seal. They are, they, they, in a sense, they mark out the people of God. They are, 
the new covenant sign given to God's people, that we might celebrate it regularly and in celebrating it show our continued commitment to the Lord, our belonging to his church. And so he gives us this blessing that we can celebrate this together as a church. Jesus instituted this meal on the night before he died. Matthew 26, 26 reads like this. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is 